This is your host, Brendan, and you're listening to the Ordinary to Ultra podcast. Each episode, I bring in an ultra runner and ask them about their journey to their first ultra marathon or their first time running a new ultra distance. We'll dive into why they started running in the first place, why they decided to run an ultra, the obstacles they encountered, and what it took to get to the finish line and beyond. Things were going really well. I remember being at like mile 30 and I was running eight, eight minute miles and, um, nice. it's like, wow, you know, this is, this is great feeling, feeling good. And, um, remember asking at an aid station around mile 24, 26, what place am I in? And they're like, you're in sixth place. I'm like, all oh, right, sweet. Sixth place. Whoa. And, um, so then, you know, I, I continue hitting on the gas. I'm like, all right, this, this is great. You know, I've got whatever, 20, 25 miles to go. And, um, mile 35, I completely hit a wall. It was like, I got hit in the face with a two by four. Hey everybody, Brendan here. You just got done listening to a snippet of the conversation I had with Jonathan Hayek today. Um, just a, a little bit of background on Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan's 38 years old. He lives in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. He was a special uh, ed teacher, but he's actually a commercial real estate investor full-time today. And uh, he has a wife and two little girls. And when he's not running, Jonathan likes to backcountry ski, play pickleball, and spend some time with his family. So today we're going to hear obviously a, a cool story about Jonathan's first ultra, the wall that he hit during this ultra and, and what happened after this wall hit. So stay tuned to hear the full story. And without further ado, let's, uh, let's get into it. Hey, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here today. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me really looking forward to this conversation, Brendan. Awesome. Awesome. I'm curious, Jonathan, have you had any uh, notable adventures or runs lately? We'd love to hear about it. Oh, gosh. I mean, I I live in the mountains and it's winter running conditions right now. So we've gotten like two feet of snow in the last couple of days. So in the winter, every run is an adventure. Um, you know, winter months, you just kind of get in miles where you can. Um, but I recently moved to Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and so I have just really been enjoying checking out the trails here and getting lost a little bit and um, finding new trails and and just going on adventures where I may not know how long I'll be out or how far I'm going to run. So, um, yeah, all, all good things. That is. So uh, when did you move to Steamboat? Just uh, this past summer, about six months ago. So I was formerly oh. in Cheyenne, Wyoming, okay. and uh, we'd been coming to Steamboat Springs for, you know, vacation to the mountains for several years. And so we finally just decided to move here full time. I love it. I love it. Lots of lots of trail running opportunities, I imagine, in Steamboat. I haven't been personally, but that's really exciting. Yeah, it's gorgeous. There's a great outdoor culture here. So we we really love being here. Okay. I'm curious where you were living before in, uh, in Wyoming, what was running like out there? I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and a lot of people think, uh, oh, Wyoming, it must be beautiful and mountainous. And Cheyenne uh -huh. is not. Cheyenne is <laughs> in the Southeast corner of the state. Um, it's high plains. It's at about a 6,000 foot elevation. Uh, but there are no mountains there. And no trails really to speak of. When I was in Cheyenne, the closest trailhead was about an hour away. Um, that's where I would have to go to get any trail uh, running miles mm -hmm. in. Um, and I love being on trails and being outside. And um, we lived in Cheyenne for about six and a half years. And it was time for us to move on. It was a great place to get us to where we are now, but it was time to move on. And, uh, so 
yeah, we're we're thrilled to be in Steamboat. Lots of running miles in Cheyenne. That's that's what I did mostly in Cheyenne was uh, running running on roads. Uh huh. Okay. Well, I get that, uh, especially during the winter, putting in lots of uh, road miles, I'm trying to get trailing when I can. Love it. Um, I I want to step back and talk about when you first got into running. How long ago was that? And and why did you get into running in the first place? I really got interested in running in 2012. And, you know, growing up, I was not a runner. I never ran cross country, never ran track, didn't play soccer. Um, I played baseball. And, you know, most people joke that baseball players don't really run. And um, so I truly never thought of myself as a runner. But it was around this time period, 2012, where I was kind of in my young professional life and I was starting to think about personal challenges. And running was one of those things that I had in the back of my mind that I thought would always be kind of cool to be a runner. But, um, you know, on the other hand, I thought, well, I'm, I'm not a runner. I don't know how to run. I'm not a good runner. And I can't do that. Um, then finally, mm. 2012 came. Um, I was making some kind of some big life decisions and adjustments at that time. Moved across the country from Illinois to Arizona and um, started training. <clears throat> I had a goal to train for my first marathon. And I thought, you know what? Before before my first marathon, I'm going to try a half marathon and see how that goes. And so uh-huh. um, trained, for, trained for my first half marathon. This is all on the roads. Uh, trained for my first half marathon that went well. And so then, uh, morphed into training for my first marathon. So, uh, we're getting close to the 12 year mark of being an active runner. Um, so that's kind of my story of how I, how I started running. And would you say you've been pretty consistent throughout that entire 12 year period? Yes. Uh, you know, fairly consistent. Um, I started out, you know, running that half marathon and marathon, and then I wanted to get into triathlon and Ironman. Mm. And so I continued to run, obviously, to train for triathlon. And so uh, pursued triathlon Mm. and Ironman for a few years. And, um, you know, as I was training uh, for that, running was maybe three or four days a week through that and then 2016, 2017 came and I was kind of done with uh, triathlon for, you know, at that point. And so then switched to running full time. And um, that's really when I transitioned to trail running. I've always done a mix of road running and trail running um, mm-hmm. for training miles. Um, races since then have largely been um, on trails. Uh, but my, a lot of my training miles, uh, really since I started running have, have been on the road. Okay. And I just, for a quick second, when I, when I dive into this, this triathlon phase, you had, uh, did you, I mean, you must've enjoyed that for a little while and then, and then what inspired the shift away? I'm curious. So triathlon was another one of those things that I had in the back of my mind that I thought, man, it'd be really cool to do triathlon and yeah. maybe even do an Ironman one day. And yeah, um, people in my life would just say, oh, Ironman, that isn't that that's so bad for your body. It's not good. To, <laughs> it's it's not good to, to run for that long or to exercise for that long. Uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, maybe, but still kind of kept it in the back of my mind. It, it, you know, it'd be really cool to do an Ironman one day. And uh-huh. um, so it was just kind of one of those crazy personal challenges that that I really wanted to pursue. And so I did for for a few years. I did some all all different uh, distance races, uh, from sprint tries to Olympic to half Ironman to full Ironman. And wow. um, I I really enjoyed triathlon. Uh, what I like about running and the transition to running was the simplicity of running. Uh-huh. Uh, triathlon, uh, 
you know, enthusiasts can, um, there's very much a, uh, it's a gear heavy from the bikes and all the different shoes to the wetsuits and yeah. um, all this gear. Um, and it's kind of cool to get into, but man, you can spend a lot of money on gear and triathlon. <laughs> and yeah. um, it was also in 2016, 2017 that I moved to Cheyenne, Wyoming. And Cheyenne is not a, a good place to train for triathlon. Um, it has brutal winds. So biking in Cheyenne is not pleasant. There are no open water swimming options in Cheyenne. And so uh, it was really just um, kind of taking what the geography would give me. And so it yeah. was, you know, more of a running terrain and geography. Uh -huh. And I had mountains in Colorado that were not too far away. And so that's when I really decided to pursue uh, trail running uh, a little more. Love it. Yeah, yeah. Running's got its own gear as well. But uh, yeah, times that by two or yeah, three. Yeah, you've got lots of gear, lots of money to spend. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, absolutely. And and you can you can really go all out on running gear for sure, but there is right. still a simplicity to it. And um, you don't have to go all out on the gear. Um, so, I mean, we, we can get into gear if you want, but, you know, um, there are some people, some people that take gear really, really seriously. And then, you know, other sort of a little more minimalist runners, people that are drinking from streams and, yeah, um, yeah, you know, true. just running with no shirt and a pair of shorts. And, um, so there's definitely that, that part of the culture and trail running as well. Yeah. Okay. You'll have to tell me about it before we get to gear. I'd love to hear about when you first heard about ultra running uh, and maybe that time is different than when you decided you wanted to run an ultra marathon yeah so gosh ultra running just seemed it always seemed like this insurmountable thing like ultra marathon like how like you know, running a marathon is hard enough. Why would you go farther than 26.2? Don't most people stop at 26.2? Uh, but it was just Breach. really, uh, you know, the idea of the challenge, the personal challenge of pushing yourself and pushing myself to achieve things that I didn't think I was capable of. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really don't remember when I first heard about ultra running. My guess it was... um I spent most of 2016 living in New Zealand and I did a ton of reading about, uh, about running at that point. And, um, there's a famous, uh, ultra runner from the early two thousands named Scott Jurek. Uh, he has a couple books about ultra running. And I remember mm -hmm. reading, uh, some of his books in New Zealand and mm -hmm. just being totally amazed and, and really inspired. And mm -hmm. so it was not, yeah, 2016, I was in New Zealand. And then 2017 okay. is when I decided to start running ultras. Um, I kind of, I made a plan. Um, I had never run a trail race before. And so 2017, mm -hmm. I made a plan. Um, I kind of mapped out some races, early season races, a, uh, it was like a, a half mar a trail half marathon in March, and then it was a twenty five miler in May, and then a fifty miler in July or August. And so that's kind of how I mapped Ooh. out that first season to kind of try to ease into it, but also uh, challenge myself. That's awesome. And you heard about ultra running or started that journey sort of while in New Zealand, which is an amazing time, I think, to maybe be exploring that idea and trail running in general. Um, how was trail running in New Zealand? Sidetrack. I need to hear about this. Uh, that's it. That's the dream. Sadly, I did not run any trails oh, when no. I was in New Zealand. <laughs> I know it's like the oh, most amazing no. spot. They've got all these uh, epic trails. And um, I was just reading about it at that time. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, I truthfully, I had lots of limiting mindsets, uh, like, yeah. you know, I, I imagine a lot of beginning runners have, and, 
So mm-hmm. I was still running on roads in New Zealand, um, ran mm-hmm. on a lot of roads, but um, hiked on some trails. Mm-hmm. Um, but one day I would I would love to go back to New Zealand to really take advantage of um, what they call the great walks. So there's, mm. um, you know, these epic multi-day uh, hikes um, all around the country um, that people from all over the world go to New Zealand just for these uh, long walks. And um, it'd be great to uh, be great to take advantage of that one day. Yes. Someday you'll get back there and I'll go, I'll go with you. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Um, okay. You mentioned this three race series that got you in. Um, what was it? A half, a 25 miler and a 50. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Um, where was this located? What was it called? Um, and uh, again, what was your thinking behind this race? Why'd you choose this one over whatever, uh, all the other races out there. Right. So there are a lot of factors that go into choosing races and, you know, different factors are important for different people. For me, it was timing. I wanted to have, um, you know, I'm self-coached. I make my own training plans and I've gone through, Mm -hmm. uh, I did have a coach for a period of time, but uh, particularly when I was just starting, I was making my own plans. I'm a DIYer. And mm-hmm. so it was really about timing. Um, I had this goal race, this 50 mile goal race, but I didn't want to go couch to 50 miler. Uh, some people yeah. do that. Some people go couch to a hundred miler. That's not the way I wanted to treat my running. And mm-hmm. so uh, it was, uh, you know, I knew it was, it's like end of July, early August, uh, where this 50 miler was, it was the sheep, sheep mountain 50 in fair play, Colorado. And so then I really just kind of backwards planned from there. So I thought, okay, I got a 50 miler in July. What would I like to do before that to get myself ready? Something Mm -hmm. shorter, like a 50K or a 25 miler. So there was a 25 miler less than an hour from my house in Cheyenne in Fort Collins, Colorado, called the Quad Rock 50. Uh, But there's also a 25 mile uh, version uh, so I, I backed off, you know, backed into that. So that race is in early May. Um, so ran quad rock 25 in early May. And then I thought, well, I wonder if I can get a shorter race in before that. And so then in March there was, um, it's called, I think it's called the run through time in Salida, Colorado. And that was, um, they have, they have different uh, different lengths. I think I I I well I know I did the thirteen mile half marathon version. I think they also have a marathon version, mm-hmm. and so that was in like first or second week of March. Um, and uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. so that's really how I kind of planned out uh, that first season, and it really did work out pretty well. Um, you know that that run through time half marathon in Salida was my first trail marathon mm. ever it might have been my first trail run ever yeah uh-huh and um so it was a really good distance not you know not crazy amounts of climbing uh but fun and challenging enough um and so i feel like for me for my personality i like to ease into things i like to be prepared i'm not mm-hmm. a couch to a hundred miler kind of person and so um i think easing into it that way worked really well for me that's awesome. Awesome. So this 50 miler, um, I'm curious, uh, since this was the 50 miler would be your first technically ultra, uh, marathon, uh, other than obviously you you did these practice races this half marathon this 25 miler what other uh, what did your training look like leading up to this this 50 miler uh what like you know miles you're putting in time if that's how you measure um yeah would love to hear more about that i have never been a super high mileage trainer So like when I was marathon training, you know, road marathon training, a 40 mile week was a pretty good week. That that was a healthy week. I've never been 
a hundred mile a week kind of runner. Yeah. And so my, my biggest concern going into that first 50 miler was, can I simply make it to the finish line? If this Mm -hmm. is going to take me potentially 12 hours, maybe more to finish this 50 miler. I've never been outside for that long. I've never been on a 12 hour hike before. Um, So can I, can I make it? Can I simply last? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I did some research and, and listened to podcasts and, and read stuff and knew that I didn't have to run, uh, for 12 hours in my training. I didn't have to do Mm -hmm. a 12 hour training run to get ready for this 50 miler. Even if I got halfway there, if I did a six hour training run, I knew that that was going to get me, or so I was told that was going to get me in pretty good shape and Mm -hmm. it did. And so, um, yeah, so my training for that was trying to be as consistent as possible and trying to get on trails when I could during peak Mm -hmm. training season, it was once a week for me. So uh, I think I mentioned earlier that the nearest trail was uh, like an hour away from me. And so, you know, it's not something that I'm able to do every day. And so Mm -hmm. it would be a Saturday or Sunday that I'd get up early and drive an hour to the trail and go for extended runs. And, you know, these long runs would get progressively longer. They might start out at two and a half hours and then three and then three and a half and four and Eventually, uh, I, I imagine, uh, you know, that that's, this was several years ago, but I imagine my long run during that training cycle was probably in the five to six hour range uh, to get ready for that 50 miler. And, and I feel like that's really what I was capable of at that, at that point. And, and, you know, that was, that was what I was able to do and, and it worked out okay for me. Yeah, the putting in the time can be difficult. I mean, not only is it hard on your body, but just making the time to train. Uh, I'd love to hear more about how you balance the rest of your life with with this training volume you're trying to put into to this 50 miler. And this could be advice from other races you've done as well. But how do you balance that time? So... Everyone is going to be in a different spot. If you are young and single and, you know, you have few responsibilities, you are one of the lucky ones. And so you can, you know, go off for weekends in the mountains and um, just go run and camp and have fun with friends and and all that kind of stuff. And um, when I started trail running, I was married, but had no kids. And so it really takes communication and a partnership if, uh, you know, if you have a spouse and if you have kids. And so when I started, um, and I was, and I was married with no kids, it was a little more straightforward. My wife could, you know, if we'd go away for a weekend in the mountains, she would come with me, I'd go out and run and she'd do some other things. If I, I would go out by myself, I would just let her know, Hey, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be gone on Saturday or, you know, I'd, I'd like to be gone on Saturday And, um, so yeah, so, you know, communicating with your spouse, um, your partner, um, about what's going on and, um, you know, if you can get away for, for this time period, Mm -hmm. um, then as, as kids come along, um, things get much more complicated. So it's really about, um, you know, if you have family and job responsibilities, it's about communicating, uh, with your, with your partner and um, making sure, you know, if this is important to you, making sure you're holding up your responsibilities at home. Um, unfortunately, you know, the trails are littered with people that are have great running lives, but terrible home lives. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, as you alluded to, trail running really can take up a significant amount of time, especially if you want to do a lot and do well and be competitive, Um, these are long races and, um, it takes a lot of training to do well. Um, and so my personal relationships was, uh, never something I was willing to sacrifice in order to have success on the trail. Um, trail running has always been an outlet. It's been a hobby. 
even a passion, uh, but I'm not an elite runner. Um, I, I'm not out there on the podium or winning races or anything like that. I'm out there for enjoyment, for exercise, for adventure. Um, and so I think it really comes down to, um, having your priorities lined up, making sure, you know, your why, you know, why you're running trails. And, um, you know, if you're going into an extended block, Communicating with your partner about, um, you know, your hopes and um, what your goals are and what that might look like for, you know, if you're going to start your some intense training in March or April and go through July or August, um, you know, really talking with your partner about what that might look like and, and how that might uh, affect your family life. Appreciate your insight. Yes, as someone who is married and has one child as well, I can I can attest to how that that does change things. Um, I'm curious on the nutrition side too. Um, were you eating any differently, not on race day, but but rather like preparing for your your first ultra? and these runs you're doing did you start did you change your nutrition what you were eating uh, or did that pretty much stay the same like how you always ate for a long time really since college i've been a pretty healthy eater um, in terms of focusing on whole foods um mm. and you know limiting limiting junk foods and that kind of stuff i certainly indulge like everyone else um but yeah, I think during your during your training block, food matters. Uh, there are some people that uh, can somehow maintain awful diets and still be amazing runners. Um, yeah. You know, someone like <clears throat> uh, Courtney DeWalter, uh, famous, uh, you know, best female. Uh, trail runner, one of the best trail runners period in the world. Um, she does not have a great diet. Um, she eats a lot of junk food and she still is able to maintain her status as one of the best runners in the world. Um, that's the exception and not the, not the norm. And so I've gone through, um, you know, different periods of just learning what works for me. Um, in general, I like to run first thing in the morning when the weather's good. Uh, I like to run first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. That really works for me. Um, if I push my runs to later in the day, um, I know I'm going to have some stomach discomfort. And uh, I know that just from experience. And so um, I really think, you know, beginning runners need to try things out and um, try different foods to bring with them on the trail. Um, try, you know, different foods, uh, you know, what should I eat before a run? How far in advance, uh, should I eat before a run? Um, so when I'm running now, I really try to plan out what time of day I'm going to run. And I really don't try to have anything heavy really within two hours of that run. Um, you know, I've got, you know, little, little tricks that I'll do. If I've, if I feel a little hunger before a run, I've got like these energy blocks, um, that, uh, you know, that are, uh, nutrient rich that, um, I'll pop a few of those before a run and a little bit of water. But, um, yeah, I think it's really important just to figure out your schedule. Um, when are the majority of your training runs going to be taking place and then try different things? Um, what types of foods, when to consume these foods. And it's really just trial and error. It's going to be different for everyone. And, um, so it's, uh, you know, that's part of the fun of just, you know, learning your body and learning what works for you. Test. That is, that is wisdom test. Um, Okay, I want to dive into race day. Um, what did race day look like for your 50 miler from when you woke up to how you felt after? So this, this should be a long story, maybe or <laughs> a good chunk. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll try to keep it, uh, um, to the, you know, pertinent, pertinent details. Um, I actually, and this 
but this first race I'm now remembering, I forgot my watch. So, oh, you know, no. most, most, most runners are like attached to their watch and, um, yeah. Interesting thing for my first ever marathon, the same, a similar thing happened where I woke up the morning of my marathon and my watch was dead. And um, I was like, oh man, how am I going to run this marathon without my watch? And turns out it it worked just fine. And I did better than I was planning on doing with no watch. Um, And so I, uh, yeah, so I, I wake up, this was in fair play, Colorado, small town, middle of nowhere in the middle of mountains in, in Colorado. And I, I think, I think it was the night before the race and I realized I, I forgot my watch at home. I plugged it into charge and I never grabbed it before I left. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't have my watch. So my, my wife was there with me. She had, um, she, you know, she also has a, you know, a multi-sport watch. And so I asked her if I could borrow hers and she's like, of course, uh, but you know, of course I, I don't know how her watch works. I don't know, you uh, know, how to access the screens that I want to access. Um, and so it's interesting. I, you know, I hadn't really even thought of that from that race and until just now. Um, and so that was not one of the things that stuck with me, but there was some, you know, before my first ultra there, that did cause some, some trepidation and a little anxiety, not, not having my watch. Um, but you know, stuff like that is going to happen. You know, silly things are going to happen when you show up for races, you're going to forget your shoes or your favorite shirt or your favorite hat or whatever. And, um, you know, you're going to figure it out. Um, if you've done the training, don't let that one thing stand in the way of, of a great performance. Um, and so I was really enthusiastic for this race and it started off well. And I, um, despite doing those earlier races, to prepare for it, I didn't really know anything about pacing. I didn't know, I didn't really know how long this was going to take. I didn't know how much to push myself, how much to hold back. And so things were going really well. I remember being at like mile 30 and I was running eight, eight minute miles. And, um, it's like, wow, you know, this is, this is great feeling, feeling good. And, um, remember asking at an aid station around mile 24, 26, what place am I in? And they're like, you're in sixth place. I'm like, all oh, right, sweet sixth place. Whoa. And, um, so then, you know, I, I continue hitting on the gas. I'm like, all right, this, this is great. You know, I've got whatever, 20, 25 miles to go. And, um, mile 35, I completely hit a wall. It was like, I got hit in the face with a two by four. I just could not keep going. I had just left an aid station. I don't know if it was something I consumed at the aid station or if it was just my body telling me that, uh, you know, it was time to stop. But um, I literally had trouble putting one foot in front of the other. And so um, I ended up walking the last 15 miles of that race. So mile zero through 35, I was great. You know, I was in fifth or sixth place. And then um, after that point, I just was totally leveled. And um, I I just, I didn't know what happened. Um, but um, it was, you know, in hindsight and, and after talking to other people, it's it's pretty much a classic first ultra. Happens to a lot of people. Happens to a lot of marathon runners at mile 18, you hit a wall. For me in this first ultra, it happened at mile 35 where... I just literally hit a wall and and really had a hard time continuing to to move forward. But um, I did finish. It was absolutely brutal. I cried at the end, uh, but I did it, and uh, I was I was uh, I was very. It was a very proud moment for me when I finished that race. Man, uh, these walls are something that I I consistently hear. I I think from. Uh... From those who run ultras, uh, and that's, yeah, that's scary. That's scary sounding. Like you feel perfectly fine out of nowhere. Just wham with 15 miles left. How do you push through 15 miles? When you're out there on the trail, you don't really have a choice. So you could, uh, just sit down and lay down on the side of the trail, uh, but that's not 
that's not going to get you that's not going to get you home it's not going to get you back to your hotel room or to the to the hamburger at the finish line or um or whatever and so you know kind of the difference between trail running and road running is if you're on the if you're on a road race and you stop at an aid station you're like i'm done there can be a volunteer or or a, or a course marshal that drives you to the finish line and and no big deal uh but on the trail um you're out there in the middle of nowhere you don't have a choice if if you want to get back to the finish line or your hotel room um or your friends and family you have to get yourself to the finish line and so that's that's really what it was about um there was no choice you you have to keep going how'd you feel afterwards uh <laughs> that's probably a, a given but I, i'd love to hear your take yeah just emotionally drained um i remember approaching the finish line and having having tears coming out of my eyes and i i don't really know what that was about but i was so drained just physically drained and you know man walking 15 miles i was like uh, what am i going to do how am I, how in the world am i going to make it um but i did make it and so you know i think it was a mix of pride and and you know just uh just being physically and emotionally exhausted um one you know one thing about hitting the wall if if we can go back to that for a second yeah um there's when you do enough races you learn that there's often another side to the wall so mm. i unfortunately in this race i didn't get to experience it but i've been in other races where you're halfway in or you're however long in and you feel like oh my gosh i can't i can barely walk another step i can't eat anything i can't drink anything how is this going to work how am i going to do this and you just keep pushing through and pushing through and then a lot of times something happens either the sun comes out you have the right kind of electrolyte drink you have the right kind of snack or someone comes up from behind you and gives you some encouragement or you you reach a downhill or you see a really beautiful mountain view something happens or maybe it's indescribable and you don't know what happens but you just you get your energy back and so something that is really hard for beginning ultra runners to imagine is the other side of the wall and it it does come um and it's amazing when it happens because now all of a sudden you're running and you've got this great energy and you're feeling good and you're like wow 20 minutes ago i could barely walk and now i'm running again how did this happen and it's a lot of times indescribable uh but that is truly one of the joys of ultra running is just the many peaks and valleys of a race especially a long race you go through so many different emotions and so many different physical states and it's just it's super rewarding to see yourself come out on the other side of hitting that wall and and oftentimes end up having a great race when in the middle of it you weren't sure if you were going to be able to finish wow that was amazing what great advice and and insight uh appreciate you talking about that and bringing that back uh bringing that back up pushing through the other side of the wall um so you finished this 50 miler uh and i know that you've ran other races since then but uh why don't you tell everyone else uh what have you done since this 50 miler at this point i've run uh probably between 10 and 15 ultras and my longest has been 100k and um some 50k's in there some 50 milers um and and some 100k's I'd say the most beautiful race that I've ever run is the Crested Butte 50 miler. It's in Crested Butte, Colorado. First or second week of October, there's fall colors. The mountains are gorgeous. Um, it's just, it's a perfect time to run in the mountains. It's just a stunning race. And so if 
you ever have a chance to run the Crested Butte 50, I'd highly recommend it. It's a great course. It's it's just gorgeous. Um, I've run um, the past several years. Um, so I mentioned before the Quad Rock 25. Uh, the past several years, I've run the Quad Rock 50. So it's uh, it, it's just a two-loop course. It's um, two loops of the 25-mile course. And um, that it's close to home, and so it's convenient. Um, I can drive down there in the morning, be home for dinner, um, and so it's convenient. I've run that. Um, I think I've run that three times. There's another um, race close to me called the Never Summer 100K. Um, that's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's in in Gould, Colorado, uh, but it's not far from me. Um, it's a gorgeous race in the mountains, um, in state forest, state park, Colorado. Um, it's convenient. Um, there's, you know, you can kind of make a weekend of it. I camp and, um, it's a great race. I think I've run that the last four years in a row. Um, I've run a 50 miler in Arkansas. I've run, um, a couple of years ago, I did, uh, back-to-back 50 Ks in, in Colorado in in Buena Vista, Colorado. So, Saturday, uh, there's 50 K and then you come back on Sunday and do another 50 K on a different course. Uh, so that was a really fun challenge last year. Um, so the majority of my races have been in Colorado, uh, cause it's close to home, um, with, you know, with my young family, it's not easy for us to travel all around the country. If you're young and single and um, you have the freedom and you can go to California and then New York and then Florida and Texas and Washington, and you can do all these amazing races. That's great. That's not the stage of life that I'm in right now. So um, I like to do these ultras that are close to home, that are convenient, but are um, have epic scenery. That's really what I'm after is, is an adventure epic scenery, uh, but also fairly convenient, close to home. Maybe we can get uh, an Airbnb or a campsite close to the start line. Um, and so, you know, that's that's kind of the profile of, of, of the runs that I'm looking at. Love it. Thanks for illustrating that for us. It's amazing the uh, how you start and you just can't stop sometimes. I've heard of others who ran there first and, and said that's definitely enough, but... Uh cool to hear that you've kept it going yeah i mean you know you know you love it when you're in your race and you're planning your next race because honestly (laughs) when you're out there and you're running you know 30 Uh, miles or 50 miles or 100 miles you have a lot of time to think yeah and so uh that's where that's where i do my best thinking is is when i'm running on the trail and so you know you know you're in a good spot when you're out there and you're planning your next race um, actually last, last year when I ran never summer hundred K, um, I had, I had a, a rough time and the whole time, not the whole time, but really the middle third of the race, I was planning how to quit. So like I said earlier, when you're out there in the middle of nowhere, you don't have a lot of options if you want to quit. So most aid stations, you pull into an aid station and if you say, you know, oh, I, I'm done. I can't can't go anymore. They'll they'll find out if you're if you're injured or if you're just tired or dehydrated or what the issue is. Um, you know, assuming you don't have a broken leg or something, um, the people at that aid station are probably going to try to convince you to keep going. They're going to give you options. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, well, why don't why don't you just have a seat here? Just take it easy. You've got plenty of time. They're going to offer you, you know, watermelon and electrolyte drink and pretzels and uh, and soup and you know all all these different things. And they're just going to say, you know what, you don't have to decide right now. Just take just take it easy. And um, if you finally decide that no, 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 I'm done. I'm I'm not going to run anymore. They're going to say, um, at least in my experience, they're going to say, okay. Well, this aid station is open for another six hours, so you can you're welcome to just hang out here and you can sit in that chair for the next six hours. And when the aid station closes down, then we can uh, we can drive you back to the start line. And so, you know, that really makes you think like, oh, man, do I really want to sit here for another six hours? That doesn't sound like very much fun. So usually that convinces people to just keep going. They're like, well, instead of sitting here for six hours, I may as well just at least get closer to the finish line. 
uh, in six hours. And so um, in this particular race, it was, um, you know, the middle third, I was plotting how to quit and I couldn't come up with, with a good way to quit. And uh, fortunately the last third, um, I just, I completely crushed it. Um, I think, uh, I think I was low on salt. And so at this uh, aid station, it was like a 65 mile race at this aid station, about the 42 mile mark. I had some electrolyte drink and I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to keep going. And like five minutes later, I, I mean, I felt like the incredible Hulk, like I could do anything. <laughs> and so I just, I ended up uh, running the, the last 23 miles uh, pretty much nonstop. And um, you know, my best splits of that race were my, were the last miles that I ran. So that was really a race. uh, One of the best examples of a race for me where I came out the other side of the wall and Mm -hmm. it was just such an, an indescribable feeling. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's really, really amazing feeling and, and it really can happen. You can be having a hard time, but, but it can get better. Well, Jonathan, uh, Amazing stories. What advice or words of wisdom would you give someone who is looking to get into ultra running? Maybe they're just curious. Maybe they saw one of those hundred miler crazy videos on YouTube and they were like, why do people do this? But it's sort of intriguing. What would you say to these people who are considering the idea? I personally believe that the most important part of running ultras is developing a love of running. There are a lot of inspiring videos on YouTube. I I watch some of them and you see people running Western States or Leadville or whatever it is and this beautiful scenery at UTMB or, um, or whatever it is. And it's super inspiring. And those are the kind of people that say like, I'm going couch to a hundred miler. I'm going to run Leadville in July. And I caution against that approach. I personally believe it's much more valuable to go slow and steady, to work up to your capabilities, to build your strength, and most importantly, build your love of running. Uh, Because when things get tough, when life gets difficult, um, when you're overwhelmed with work and uh, your kids and it's hard to get out to run or it's bad weather, um, you have to have another reason to keep going. Um, you know, those those well-produced YouTube videos will only get you so far. You've got to love it. And so I really encourage people to understand their why and understand, yeah, why they're doing what they're doing and learn to cultivate a love of running, a love of the trails, a love of trees and the outdoors and the mountains um, or the prairie or, you know, wh- wherever it is that you run, you've, you've got to enjoy the process. It can't just be about the belt buckle or the end result. Amazing advice. And you've mentioned, you mentioned why you ran. I think you mentioned, uh, you know, you love the outdoors, you love the mountains. Uh, but in case that's not all of it, I'd love to know why you still run. Why do you love running now? There are several reasons. So what's my why? Um, you know, initially I'd say exercise for maintaining my health and my heart um, and that kind of stuff. Um, second, I'd say I do my best thinking when I'm running. Um, I, I can't explain it. Uh, but whenever I have a, something going on in my business, in my personal life, I can almost always work out the solutions while I'm running. Um, whether it's on roads or on trails. Um, and so oftentimes it's at sunrise, um, I, I like to say my best thinking happens at sunrise at 10,000 feet. So I've got the, I've got these routes that, um, that are just amazing. And I get to this point where it's like, 
how can I ever have a problem in the world? Like I can, I can solve all of the world's problems when I'm running at sunrise at 10,000 feet. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I do my best thinking while I'm running. Um, and then I guess next I love pushing myself and seeing what I'm capable of. Um, I love, yeah, finally seeing that I can accomplish things that I didn't think I could accomplish before. And then last, I'd say, I just, I love the adventure. I love discovering new trails. I love beautiful mountains. I love the trees and the fall. I love uh, running through Aspen stands. I love drinking through running rivers. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a great experience. Um, and um, yeah, so I hope that answers it. Sure does. Jonathan, thank you for your stories today, explaining your why. I think this has been an incredibly valuable conversation. Thanks for coming on today. Appreciate you. Thank you for having me, Brendan. Take care. You too. Hey, Brendan here. I just wanted to thank you for listening to today's episode. As someone new to ultra running myself, I found these conversations to be super valuable, and I hope they are for you as well. And if you want to know when the next podcast episode comes out, make sure you subscribe to the show. And one last thing before you head out, I'm thinking of putting together an online community for new and aspiring ultra runners, and I'm wondering what you think about the idea. You know, there's already several Reddit communities and Facebook groups out there where you're where we can go ask any question we have um, related to ultra running. But I'd like to create something more tight knit than that. Um, I'm thinking a, a small ish group where we can put uh, our upcoming races on a, on a race calendar uh, so we can support each other towards those goals and maybe find inspiration for our own upcoming races. Um, we can post wins. Uh, we can find more easily other people that are in a similar stage as us. You know, I found it difficult personally to find other runners that are working towards similar goals, especially when it comes to ultra running, being that there's just less of us out there. So I think that could be really helpful. Um, and I also think it, it could be fun to have uh, these community members hop on at the end of a podcast episode and ask interviewees questions um, about their ultra running experiences. So if you think this idea is interesting or could be helpful to you, I'd love to know about it. Go ahead and go to bit.ly forward slash OTU community. The link is in the, the description as well. And drop me your email in that online form. If I get enough people that are interested, I'd love to make this community a reality. Well, thanks again for your time and for listening to this episode, and we'll catch you on the next one.